0: And we're in this series called Seasons. And this was really a series that um, the staff brought to me and said, this is something we need to talk about. And so we processed through it as a group. And, and this is where the idea of Seasons came from. And I remember when I was uh, 17 years old, I had just given my life to Christ. And, uh, and the first thing I did when my youth pastor gave me a Bible was to look up what it what it meant, or what does the Bible say about being a man? Because I grew up with my mom in a one bedroom apartment in New York, and my brother grew up with my father in Virginia. So I didn't have a a father figure, if you will, to invest in me to teach me certain things. I didn't, I didn't see a husband-wife relationship. So the first thing I started to look up in the Bible with that little ready reference he gave me was what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father and a husband? Those are the things I wanted to learn about. And I thought, well, who, who better to learn from than God? And so I studied and studied and studied all the scriptures that related to being a man and being a father and being a husband so I could be the best that I could be. And then I started looking at people within the church and how they were treating their families. And I I picked certain families that I felt like were living out a biblical worldview, and I started really studying them. This was so, so important to me. And over the last few weeks, as we we continue in this series, um, we've been asking a question because as I was striving to understand what it meant to be a man, a father and a husband and looking at the word of God where we we started asking a question of each other, if you will. And it comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, where Elijah says to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? I didn't go seeking out what a man looked like or what a father looked like or husband looked like according to culture. I really didn't have my own experiences. And so so I went to the word of God and Elijah is challenging even now, every single one of us saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him and what the word of God says. If Baal is God, then follow him. And the people said nothing. We need to speak up. We need to decide in our own hearts, who are we going to follow? You've got, you got to ask yourself the question, who or what is the Lord of your life? Who or what is the Lord of your life? Your feelings? Could it, maybe that's the Lord of your life. Maybe that, that's what drives you to make the decisions that you make. Maybe your feelings, your emotions, maybe it's your experiences. Well, I've experienced this and I've experienced this. So you've built your worldview on what you've experienced in the past. Or maybe it's cultural pressure. Maybe it's societal pressure where you go to work, you go to school. We talked about this last week and you get this pressure put on you. And so that's how you make your decisions. If people think this, if this new cultural theme comes along or if some, you know, social, new social identity or whatever it may be comes along. I go along with that because everyone else is doing the same thing and I don't want to be out of the loop. I want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm in, I'm on the inside, I'm in the in crowd. I don't want people to think differently of me or not treat me well. I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliot. She said, the question is simple. Who is your master? Because we're talking about what the Lord of your life is. And something has mastered you. Something, okay, something is your Lord, the Lord of your life. So the question is, what is that? She says, the question is simple. Who is your master? Once once that's settled, you ask whether any word has been spoken. If it has, you have your orders. You ask if any word has been spoken. If it has, you have your orders. So when I was studying the word of God and learning how to, what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a father, what does it mean to be a husband, the word has spoken to me. I have my orders. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is how I'm supposed to act. the question I'm going to come back to you again this morning. Is how long will you will you will you waver between two opinions? Who is the Lord of your life? Who guides your life? If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, then scripture guides us, guides us. And if the the scripture guides us, we also need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and make sure that we are constantly, constantly following after God, that the scripture is developing in us convictions and the Holy Spirit is working on us to live up to those convictions, So we need to understand that if you say, I ask Jesus to come into my heart, then Jesus is the Lord of your life. And if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then scripture guides you to the convictions that you have about whatever social issues are going on at a time or whatever opinions I may or you may have. God gives us those opinions. God gives us that guidance. And so that's what we need to hold. We live in a culture, though. I understand this. We live in a a postmodern world and culture is not always, if you will, um, open to a biblical worldview. It comes into conflict, if you will, with a biblical worldview. And so the questions we need to step back and ask ourselves is, what are we going to follow? Who are we going to follow? Are we going to be pushed upon so that we make decisions not based upon the word of God, but based upon what everyone else is telling us? God's expectation, expectations for men and for, and for women may run contrary to our political correct society okay, or our, our cultural climate. And yet the, the definition of biblical manhood or womanhood is just that, biblical. It is not based on emotions or it's not based on our experiences or our feelings or our culture. It's not cultural driven. It's not feelings driven. It's not emotions driven. It's not, it's not driven by those things. It is driven by the word of God. So when it comes to, as we talk about these things, I'm not, I'm not trying to debate here. This is what the word of God says. This is what God is telling us. And it's been a real encouragement and challenge, even challenge to me as I walk through this. But the encouragement is that this series was was in a sense not pushed on me, but placed on me by those around me who were saying this is what we need to hear. Someone needs to step up and share this truth. Because we're, it's like an onslaught, if you will. So this morning what I want to do is focus on biblical manhood. What does it mean to be a man? What does the Bible say about us as men? Because even as Christians, we, we often debate the best way to apply, if you will, the Bible's concept of manhood. We, we kind of it, 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 it's even difficult for us sometimes to to come to grips with when the Bible says this, you know, how am I supposed to live? In some cases, I think the church has failed to correctly define it. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, we have lost, for example, our place in the world of the arts. We've lost our place, not because of. Of the biblical definition of manhood, but because the church has redefined it in response to our culture. The culture is pushing. The culture is constantly pushing and the culture is attacking biblical masculinity, if you will, or gender. And because of that, um, we begin to push back. We've created a kind of a list of books that we have or or talks that we give on, on manhood. And and the reason we do that is because we're trying to push back on the onslaught of what we're hearing from our culture about what a real what a man is or or what there is honestly there should be no no such thing as manhood, if you will. Even gender itself is being pushed back. And in the process, here's what's happened. I think sometimes we've gone too far. We've gone too too far, and we're losing men from the church who don't fit into our often limited description and definition of a man. Men who, for example, uh, like drama or, um, or the arts, or design or even sometimes music or you you go through these things, we're talking about the arts, they don't they 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 don't feel like they have a place within the church. Because the things that we sometimes talk about and the things that we write about put a man over here in one category, you know, and it's not a, it's not a negative thing. Don't take this as, as negative. Like I'm I'm saying this is wrong, but it's like, OK, grab a sword and, you know, charge the hill. And and they describe a man in a certain way. And in doing that, sometimes we the pendulum, because over here they're saying there is no such thing as Really, males should not even be. a. And then we're pushing back and we slide over here. And I'm saying we need to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. We need to find ourselves in a place, not in the middle. We need to see ourselves from a biblical worldview. See, the church for years was the epicenter, if you will, of the arts around the world. And somehow we have lost that. We've lost that. And so people who don't fit into one description, for example, like like I said, of of like for dance or for design or for for art or for all these types of things or for drama. They're over here saying, well, I don't fit into this mold. Well, that's not a, a biblical worldview. What a man is a biblical worldview is that we all come to the table with different gifts and talents and abilities. And God expects us to use all of those things for his glory. Chuck just talked about, you know, being at work on purpose, if you will. You bring you bring yourself to work and you're bringing Christ to work with you. And how do you share the love of Christ wherever you are? We all bring different gifts and talents and abilities to the table. And the church needs to embrace all of those things and use them to the glory of God. One of the cool things I'm really excited about is over the next few years, as we renovate our 40,000 square foot building, we have renovated most of it. There's about 15,000 square feet left of that building that I would love one day to see a school of the arts. We have all different kinds of arts. We have a soccer field over there and a basketball court, all kinds of activities, which are awesome. But having a school of the arts where we are reaching out and saying, no, you have a place within the body of Christ, an incredible place to use those gifts that God has given you. So that's something I'm really, really looking forward to. Now, I realize that I cannot... Um, Do an exhaustive study on this topic this morning, but I'd like to at least to begin to lay a firm foundation a firm biblical foundation As I've studied when it talks about being what is biblical manhood as I've studied this I've come to the conclusion and I'm I'm sure this is not exhaustive even even this this list um, biblical manhood can be broken down into six principles so over the next two weeks, we're going to look at those six principles. We're going to look at two this morning and then the rest next week because I want to lay that foundation. Now, they're, again, there are six, so it's two weeks. So the men are complex. They take two weeks. The so women are probably going to take me about a month to go through because I'm just going to say now they laugh. Exactly. I don't want to hear more women laughing. I'm just kidding. It'll be two weeks for men and two weeks for women, uh, I'm sure. So here are the six The six principles for biblical manhood. Number one, a man walks humbly before his God. Second, a man learns has learned to control his emotions and his passions. A man urgently, number three, prays for his family. A man intensely protects his family. A man willingly provides for his family and a man lovingly leads his family. Those are the things that we're going to go through. Now, you think, well, gosh, wasting my time. We're talking about, you know, biblical manhood. and You're talking about, you know, your family, your family, your family. Every single one of these principles can be applied if you're married with a family or not. OK, and let me give you an example. Paul, Paul gave young Timothy clear, clear direction ...to follow as he interacted with the people that were placed under his care. Paul said, here, Timothy, is how you're supposed to treat those who've been placed under your care. And he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and listen to this, younger women as sisters with absolute purity... So Paul tells Timothy, who's single, okay, here's, how you're, here's, what a, here's what biblical manhood looks like. Here's how I want you to interact with the people around you. So even if you're not married, this all applies to you. It applies to you. And all of this helps us to understand if you're, if you're a woman here, you're a man here, all of this applies to our lives because we interact with men and women all the time. It will help us. It will build a foundation for now and for the future. If a man refuses to meet the, 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 the biblical principles that God has laid out, they are not following God's design for their lives. You can call yourself a male, but you cannot call yourself a man of God. If you do not follow God's design for us as men, okay, then you can, call, you can say, I'm a male. That's very true. But you cannot call yourself a man of God, and that's what we're looking at. What does it mean to be a man of God? What are our responsibilities? What are our roles? What does God expect of us as men? Micah six eight is clear. He says, he he told, he has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. A man's focus should be first and foremost his relationship with God, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. That is our main focus. Everything else flows from that. If we do not have our main focus as as our relationship with God, then the rest of what we're going to talk about is going to be nearly impossible or impossible. So we need to make sure our relationship with God is first and foremost. A man who walks humbly with his God is empowered to step up and to, and to truly face the difficulties and the responsibilities and the challenges that will come his way because we, we are as, as men and as women, but as men, I'm going to focus on the men this morning. As men, there are challenges, there are, there are responsibilities, there are expectations that God has for us, and we need to be able to stand up under those things. Here, let me kind of take a, a one step back. Both men and women are created in the image of God. Okay, I want to lay a foundation. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this. This makes men and women, what this is saying is that men and women are of equal value in the eyes of God. Men and women, one is not better than the other, more significant to God than the other. Men and women are of equal value in the eyes of God, but they're different. They are biologically, emotionally, and psychologically distinct. Each, Each gender uniquely reflects the image of God. The image of God is reflected in men and women together, combined. If you if so that what I'm saying is that there's no there's no value difference. God does not see women or men as less than or one of the other. We are equal in value before God. In Genesis chapter one and verse thirty one, God called All of his creation, when he had finished, he called all of his creation, which included distinct genders, very good. Men, women, creation, but men and women, very good. Very good. My point in saying all of that is that any discussion around biblical manhood has to include a godly view of women has to include, I mean, when we talk about respect and godly view of women. For example, any mistreatment of women, including sexual abuse, verbal harassment, denying civil rights, equal pay, or in some cultures, denying education, is a violation of the image of God principle, period. It is a violation of the image of God principle, It is also a violation of the image of God principle to ignore the uniqueness of men and women. When you try to deny or ignore the uniqueness that makes us men or that makes us women, equal in the eyes of God, in value, different in God, how God has made us, thank goodness, thank God, if you will. So, very quick, I'm going to walk through what, what does not fall in the category of biblical manhood? What is not biblical manhood? First, men who think that they can rule their homes with fear, intimidation, um, acting like tyrants, making decisions or, 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 making, uh, or setting direction without the input from their spouse. To become one. OK, the Bible talks about two becoming one. So a person who thinks, well, the Bible says that I'm in charge and that I don't need it. i I rule with an iron fist and I'm the guy and I have the strength and I'm and you, f- you use fear and intimidation, all those things. That is not biblical manhood. That's absolutely clear. Men who see women as a personal conquest, if you will, or an object for their own desires, that 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 is not biblical manhood. When you see a guy who thinks he's a stud and he kind of puts a notch on his belt, all the women he's had and he brags and he I had this girl and I did that. That is not biblical manhood. Let me be real clear, especially if you're younger here. OK, Treating women like somehow they belong, they're just something that you, you're going to get, okay, and put a notch on your belt, I got her, that is not biblical manhood. I'll be honest with you, that's really weakness. You say, oh, come on, you're weakness, give me a break. It's weakness. You know why? Biblical manhood is the ability to look at people from a different perspective, the way God says to look at women with respect and dignity and honor, and to hold them in that kind of regard. And... What I'm saying is your weakness is you can't even control yourself. The reason you're doing that is not because you're putting, not, you can't control yourself. You have the inability to discipline yourself, okay, and to control yourself. And that's why it's a weakness and not a strength. And it is certainly not biblical manhood. You can say, well, I'm a male. Yeah, you're right. You're a male. You're a male. And you could stand there and bend your chest. And, but that's not biblical manhood. That's actually, in my opinion, and the, from a biblical perspective, it's weakness, it's not something to be proud of. It's something that says that you are a weak person. Remember how Paul told Timothy to treat younger women in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. with absolute Treat a younger woman with absolute purity. That's what Timothy was told by Paul. And then Ephesians, if you're thinking, well, that's only one verse. Let me give you another one. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Paul makes it even clearer. He says, And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, which means taking something, coveting something and taking something that doesn't belong to you. Women and men belong to God. Young women belong to God. They do not belong to you. Greed is taking something that doesn't belong to you. And that's what that means when it talks about greed. It's not like I want extra bucks in my pocket. It's talking about sexual greed. That's something I decide I'm going to take something that belongs to me. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For, for, of though, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is why I say I wasn't debating this morning. This is, this is the word I'm trying to use. Jen said to me before the service, she said, goodness, um, you know, get enough scripture? She said, you know, usually you have 10 or 12, there's 36 or 37 in this sermon. And the reason I'm doing that is because I don't want to stand up here and give you my opinion of what a man is. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just, I've studied this. The scriptures are not out of context. This is what God is saying that we, how we should live as men. Another one, men who use their strength, strength and leadership for their own selfish gain. Alexander the Great. Okay. Maybe great in the world's eyes. But Alexander the Great is not great in God's eyes. I know a lot of books. I read books on Alexander the Great and, you know, in business, Alexander the Great is fine. Alexander the Great can say he's a strong male, but he doesn't live up to and doesn't reach the, the standard for a person who is, uh, who is a godly man. He doesn't reach the standard for biblical manhood. Neither does Cortez and his destruction of the Aztecs when he burnt his ships. And it's like, yeah, he burned his ships. And then they had no choice but to kill all the... That is not biblical manhood. There's a difference. You can be a strong male. I'm not denying that. You have power. You can use that power to subdue people, to conquer people, to rule over people. But that's not biblical manhood. That's not what God calls biblical manhood. Okay, so I'm going to look at the two principles this morning. We're going to look at the first two principles. The first one, a man walks humbly with his God, before his God. Humility means that we acknowledge our weaknesses and our failures. Okay, we acknowledge those things. And we try with all of our hearts to continually depend on God for all that we need, for all that we are. We depend on God. And as I go through this, Um, And you as you as you read these scriptures and I keep telling you these things, it becomes more and more difficult. So we need to depend on God for these things. We need not to look to our own strength and think, oh, I can work this all out. I'm never going to do this with a woman or I'm never going to feel that way about this or I'm never going to treat anyone like that in order for us to accomplish what God has for us to be conformed to the image of the perfect man, Jesus Christ, it's going to take strength from God. It's going to take dependence on God. So we need to humble ourselves before God and draw from his strength. C.S. Lewis wrote this. I absolutely love it. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not true. Humility It's not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. A godly man, biblical manhood says, I put other people before myself. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. That, I love that. And you, if you could, you should memorize that. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. So a a, a godly man and a woman in this case, but a godly man puts others before himself, sacrifices himself for the good of others. A godly man understands, like I said before, that it cannot be done in his own. And it is the Bible that he has to draw upon, that he has to hold on to. The Bible is the tool, gives him the tools that he needs to fulfill his responsibilities. A godly man constantly is seeking the word of God because he knows what I'm sharing with you this morning cannot be done On your own. It cannot be done. He understands Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the word of God is active and alive, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And that's what we need. We need a judge, God, judging our thoughts and judging our attitudes and our actions and how we treat other people. But the man of God knows the only place to draw from that strength is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and comes from the word of God. A humble man is also a man who serves willingly. He serves, he serves willingly. He, he, he will serve others with a joyful heart. And, and for a man of God, there's nothing more fulfilling, more satisfying, than knowing that his acts of kindness are impacting and challenging and encouraging and making other people's lives better. That's that. There's nothing more exciting, more fulfilling to a man of God than to know that his kind acts, his kind acts are impacting the lives of the people around him and maybe around the world. People he doesn't even know. That's the heart of a man of God. He also takes correction well. Um, men, I'm not going to, you know, some of you are different, but men in general, um, guys, we, we don't take correction very well sometimes. And when we mess up, we don't fess up like we should. Sometimes that's something that, and again, nothing to don't, we don't have to beat ourselves up. It's just something we need to, we need to work on. If you will pride for a man, sometimes pride is, is that overwhelming power that won't allow him to make the right decisions are when he makes decisions and they're not, they're not the right decisions, won't go back and, and apologize for them. We need to learn to apologize. We need to learn to, to, to man up, if you will, when we make mistakes, take ownership of those mistakes, say we're sorry, because it's something we can learn from. A humble man learns from God and from others willingly. He wants to learn from every single one of his mistakes. And he sees mistakes and failures as stepping stones to future success. It is okay to say, here's what the Word of God says, and here's what the Word of God says, and here's what the Word of God says. And then for Jeff, on a regular basis, to fall short of what the Word of God says, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I do. But when I tell my son not to let his emotions dictate his actions, and then I do it in front of him, for the dog made me mad, or this made me upset, or something over here, I then go back to my son, or whoever it is that my wife, or my other children, or my granddaddy, and go back and apologize for not fulfilling or living up to what God expects of me. That doesn't. Uh, here's the trap for us guys. We think that lowers us in the eyes of our children and our spouse and our grandchildren and people around us. It doesn't. It does the opposite. When you can admit your mistakes and you apologize, it raises you up. And the people who, who don't see it that way, you don't want them a part of your life anyway. People outside your family, your family's going to see it that way. People who don't are just immature and probably, it probably doesn't really matter what they think anyway. 95% of the time when we admit our mistakes, we, we are raised up in people's minds. A, a godly man or a humble man is also gentle. They're gentle. Listen to what I'm saying and picture someone in your mind as I say this. There is great strength strength expressed in acts of gentleness remember your grandfather or a teacher or your dad or someone in your life when you have a when there is a when a man is strong and you see them as strong when they show acts of kindness and gentleness there's is, there is great strength expressed in acts of gentleness. You see a man doing something that you normally don't see a man doing, you know, interacting with a child or, or showing that. You, you think, they, again, they're raised up in your mind. Gentleness is a powerful, powerful thing and a humble man has a gentle heart. He may have great strength, But he doesn't show it off. And I mean show it off in a bad way. You're working out and everything and you can't help showing it off. If you're strong, you're strong. It's okay. Okay. But he doesn't show it off in the wrong way. When a strong man is around the weak or the young, those people are never afraid of his strength. They never fear his strength. And I'm talking to the younger ones here especially. a, A man of God is never a bully. He never uses his strength to bully other people, to bully his weaker friends, to torment people who are weaker than him, to take advantage. A a godly man never bullies anyone. The, The weak only experience his strength when he is defending them. The weak only experience his strength when he is defending them. And instead, what he does with his strength is he he, he expresses it in such a way that it's worth admiring. People can look and admire his strength because here's the bottom line. Once again, you and I, as men of God, are supposed to reflect Jesus. We are supposed to reflect our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our goal And, and being a man. Biblical manhood says, I am trying to become more like Jesus, the ultimate male, if you will. But what did that ultimate male do? He would wash people's feet. He was a servant. He was gentle. He was kind. He was loving. Do you think anyone at any point in his entire life, if he didn't want them to do something, he could, could he have stopped them from doing it? The answer is absolutely yes. He's fully God. But what did he do? He took on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was a servant. That should be our attitude. That kind of gentleness. Second principle, last principle we're going to talk about this morning. A man has learned to control his emotions and his passions. I'm going to go back to Scripture. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through five. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, sanctified, meaning set apart for God's use. You belong to God. He is the Lord of your life. So it is God's will that you be sanctified, that Jeff be sanctified, set apart. And he says this, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the passage that is so misquoted and so misrepresented and don't feel bad if you said this to someone, it's just that you didn't know, okay? So I don't want any guilt feelings here. Just rethink it after the service is over. First Corinthians 10, 13 is where they get the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm going to tell you something. My family gets killed in a plane crash. My house burns down and I find I have cancer in the same week. I have been given more than I can handle. What you need to do is to say God won't give you more than he can handle. But here's where they get this from. Here's where they get it from. And it's just a misunderstanding that people have. And it's, it's one of those things like telephone. It gets passed down and no one really challenges it. First Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind, for God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This has to do with God giving us the ability when we get that pressure, when we're being pulled by every side, God will give us the ability to find, he will give us a way out. We will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. Men, as men of God, biblical manhood says we can stand up under the temptations that are hitting us. We surround ourselves with other men. We put things in place to protect us. Whatever we need to do, but God will forgive us a way out when we're overwhelmed by these things that are pulling on us and tempting us single or married real men control their passions they they seek after and they follow the word of God not their own desires that's what we're saying here Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires I said this again, I'll, I'll, I said this before, I'll say it again. A, a, a godly man never, never, never harms, never abuses women and children, only protects them. Only and always protects them. They use what God has given them, what strength they've been given, what, what, what consciences they've been given, what, whatever they've been given, they use those things to protect women and children, and the people around them who are, even if it's a friend, they protect those people. They never harm them. Also, a godly man keeps his hands off of other women who are not his wife and treats his wife with love, dignity, and respect. And a man of God, when he is engaged or in a relationship with a younger woman, protects her purity and her innocence. And yes, I'm talking to you if you're in high school or in junior high. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, well, once you get older, then you can start living up these standards. You have girls in your life. You love them. I, I've talked to you guys love them with all of your heart. And what the Bible is saying, if you're calling yourself a believer, a man of God, then you need to live up the standards of a man of God. And what did Paul say to Timothy? Treat younger women, Okay. As a, as a sister with absolute purity, we need to protect their purity. We need to protect their innocence. Now, am I saying this is easy? Golly, no. Am I saying this is like, oh, no big deal. Now I go off. And, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm doing is holding up the biblical standard of where we should all be striving, what we should try to be achieved, protecting those around us. And when I say protecting, protecting every part of their life. A godly man is a man with a a disciplined mind, a steadfast heart, and a sensitive conscience. So when these things come up that you know the Word of God, the Holy Spirit brings those things back to your mind, a sensitive conscience. And so when you struggle, the Holy Spirit is pulling on you and helping you overcome that. The Word of God rules in a godly man's life, rules in their lives. Also, men, according to the Bible, men should not twist scripture in order to meet their own selfish needs or their own selfish preferences. In Mark chapter seven, verses eight and nine, it says this. Listen, this is really it's one of those you read through it, you kind of skip over it. But in this context, listen to what it's saying. He says, you have let go of the command commands of God and are holding on to human traditions and he continues, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God, which we are talking about this morning, in order to observe your own traditions. Because some people will say, well, that, I, I hear you. But that's not how I feel. That, that's not that's not how I feel. That, that's not what I think. That's not what I've been taught. This is not what I, what I choose to believe. This is not what, uh, you know, what, I've, what I've experienced. And I'm going to go back, okay, with that in your mind. Keep that in your mind. That's not what I, I don't really think that's completely, I don't, whatever. And what, what does 1 Kings 18.21 say? How long will you waver between two opinions? I'm not saying this isn't, I'm not saying this isn't hard. I'm just saying it's true. This is biblical manhood. This is true. Well, I don't feel or I think you're being a little ridiculous, you know, a hint of sexual immorality. I didn't say it. Hear me. I'm not the one saying treat a younger woman with, with, with like a sister with absolute purity. I'm just reading it. So people are saying, teach us what does it mean? What does biblical manhood mean? This is it. This is what God is saying to us as men. This is how we should be trying, trying, let me go back, trying to live our lives. Guys, this isn't a debate. What I'm telling you is not a debate and God's not going to lower the bar so that we can kind of or raise the bar, if you will. and So we slip right underneath it. God's not God is not going to lower the bar. So it makes it he's not going to do it. This is what the word of God says. This is how we should live our lives. The godly man strives to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, not find loopholes. Well, how far can I go with this? Well, how, how much can I do before I would ever fall off the cliff? You know what I mean? It's like. That's not the questions we should be asking. We should be asking, how can I become more like, the, like my Savior? The person I say is the Lord and Savior of my life. We sing songs about Him. How can I become more like Him? Not how, I, how far can I go from His perfect standard before I actually fall over the cliff? That's not the questions we should be asking. God is not debating us in this discussion, and we shouldn't be looking for loopholes. Let me, close with, uh, let me close with a bit of encouragement. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let me close with a little bit of encouragement. Um, a godly man understands, you say, this is not going to start out, it's going to start out the same way where I've been talking to you, but a godly man understands that he is to strive after holiness, okay, to be conformed to the image of Christ. But a godly man also understands all right He understands that he's going to fall short in this life we're going to fall short. I raise my hand first, everything we talked about i mean we're we We are all, guys, we're going to fall short in some of these areas, all right? Even little bits here or or we, you know, we lose our temper. We're telling our our sons to do this and our daughters to do that and asking our wives to do this. And all of a sudden we're falling short and we're going to fall short in those areas. I totally understand that. But a godly man then knows what to do. He goes back to the Word of God and asks God, How do I remedy this? And my, one of my other favorite passages of Scripture is 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says this My dear children, just picture this as, you know, my dear, right, my dear children, I tell you all of this so you will not sin. Let's pray. No, that's not. What, I tell you this so you will not sin. But he says, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I tell you this so you will not sin. Everybody good? Fine? We've read the scriptures. We're all clear. I tell you this so you will not. My dear children... He uses those words, my dear children, I tell you these things so you will not sin, but reality. If anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. When you ask Christ to come into your life, you said, I'm going to live my life to try to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But you also realize you're under grace and not under law. And there are times that we're going to fall short. And when we fall short, we need... We need, as people, but I'm going to say as men this morning, we need to go and repent. Ask God to forgive us. Once God forgives us, okay, we need to move forward. We need to keep striving to become the best that we can be, to become more like Christ. But here's the thing. I want to, I want to point this out again, because may, many of you may, may not have heard this, maybe heard me say this in the past. There is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Okay? What men often feel is condemnation. You are such a loser. I can't. You read the word of God. How long you've been a Christian? You still struggle with this. You still fall in this temptation. You still make mistakes. You still. What kind of man are you? What kind of thing? If you are really a Christian, if you really love Jesus, if you really and you feel shame and guilt and it's piled on you, that's condemnation. But the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Why? Because there's conviction. The, Holy, the enemy can tries to condemn. The Holy Spirit convicts. And when the Holy Spirit convicts Jeff, Jeff then goes and says, God, forgive me. I've fallen short. Help me to, to be stronger next time. And I ask for forgiveness. He forgives me and I move on. And honestly, if you're still feeling poorly about it or whatever else, you keep moving forward and let your feelings catch up. Your feelings are not the word of God. So when you ask for forgiveness, God forgives you and you move on. Anything else is still lingering condemnation. Move on and let your feelings catch up to you. See, what God wants is for each of us to strive he wants us to strive to become the person that we have been created to be. That's God's will, that we strive with all of our hearts. Even when we fall short, we get back up. We let God kind of pull us up and wipe us off. And he puts us on his way to strive to become the man that he has created, the man he has created us to be. And Let me close out with just this, this uh, final uh, quote from Elizabeth Elliot. I, Elliot, I really love it. Stand true to your calling to be a man. Real women will always be relieved and grateful when men are willing to be men. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Father, thank you for the opportunity just to, to share your word and to convict my own heart To try to be the person that you've designed and created me to be. Lord, it is difficult every day to put these things into practice. So we need your help. We need your strength. We need the resurrection power of Christ in us flowing through our veins in order for us to accomplish what you called us to accomplish. And God, when we fall short, help us to remember that you convict and then you forgive and then you give us opportunity to learn from those mistakes and become the man you created us to be, to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you. Have a great day. See you next Sunday.